Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Last year, a new nonprofit called The Porchlight Project, a group based in Akron and headed by Ohio true crime journalist and author James Renner, had its first success. Porchlight raises money for forensic tests to help solve cold cases. And tests that it paid for identified a suspect in the 1987 murder of Barbara Blatnick. Barbara was 17 years old from Garfield Heights, and she disappeared one night after leaving a friend's party. She was found raped and strangled alongside O'Neill Road near the Blossom Music Center in Cuyahoga Falls but her killer walked free for decades. DNA now has identified a 68-year-old man named James Zastonic of Cleveland, and he's scheduled to go on trial for Barbara's murder this October in Summit County Common Police Court. Now the Porchlight Project has set its sights on another case, and this time the main goal isn't initially to catch a killer, but rather to give a murder victim his name back. That case is our 10-minute mystery tonight. This story goes way back to August 29, 1969, on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio. Today, East 82nd Street, the area near East 93rd and Kinsman Road, is an old brick road surrounded by power lines and brush. But back in 1969, a 65-year-old man named Frank Forney lived there at 3182 East 82nd. Frank's stepson, 15-year-old Danny Little, was helping him that day. They were working on the house and cleaning up the yard, and Frank told Danny to burn the refuse they were collecting. Well, Danny had a look around. The house was next to a vacant lot that abutted the Penn Central Railroad tracks. And on that lot, he spotted a black barrel. He'd seen it there a few days ago. It looked like a good vessel for a trash fire. So the kid tilted the metal drum on its side and rolled the sealed container over to the house. 
The boy could tell whatever was in the barrel smelled pretty bad, but you know there's no way he was going to stifle his curiosity. So he unscrewed the bolt that held the gray metal sill in place and pried off the green lid. And inside was something he probably spent the rest of his life regretting having seen. Inside were the remains of a man who had been dismembered, shoved by pieces into the drum, and surrounded by an oily caustic fluid that no doubt was meant to dissolve him. Danny called his stepdad Frank, and Frank called the police, and they arrived just before 11 a.m. The 55-gallon drum and its gruesome contents were transported to the office of Cuyahoga County Coroner Sam Gerber. Sam Gerber, by the way, is a legend. He held that post from 1937 to 1986, four decades of being in the middle of every high-profile murder case in Cuyahoga County. He was so well-respected, his contemporaries even honored him with the title of Mr. Corner of North America. Anyway, when Gerber opened the barrel, he could see the head, neck, right shoulder, left arm, and left leg. They were exposed above the fluid. The rest of the body, parts of it having been sawed through, were submerged in a few gallons of a thick brownish-black fluid that reeked of chemicals. Gerber and investigators set about removing and cataloging everything they could in an attempt to identify the man and his cause of death. The victim was black. The coroner described his color as medium brown. He was about six foot one, could have been anywhere from 28 to 45 years old. The chemicals meant to eliminate all evidence of the man did not complete their work. Still visible on the inside of his left forearm was the name Sally, written in a rather amateurish-style tattoo. He wore a wristwatch on his left arm with the Walham trademark and a gray metal stretch band. On the fourth finger of his left hand was a gray metal ring with a blue stone. The clothing was partially dissolved by the fluid, Gerber had the clothing washed and air-dried to remove the toxic fluid and get a better idea of the colors and textures. They were able to discern a tan corduroy jacket with a quilted lining and a zipper with the brand Cal Craft Sportswear on a label at the neck. There was a gray cotton twill work shirt with a herringbone pattern a yellow-gray T-shirt with short sleeves, and gray-colored trouser fragments. On the right foot was a brown combat boot, measuring 13 inches from the heel to the tip of the toes. The left boot had been dissolved. Gerber determined the man had been struck on the back of the head at least twice and hard enough to fracture his skull. Then he was shot nine times. He had a gold upper tooth and partial dentures, both upper and lower. And Gerber found something else rather telling. The man suffered from a genetic disorder called Cruzon syndrome, 
which affects the skull and causes a very elongated face. As such, his nose appeared rather small and upturned. And so investigators were able to learn quite a bit about the man who had been so brutally killed and discarded. But there was one thing they didn't have, identification. They did not have his name, and they still don't. If Porchlight has its way, that will soon change. This week, James Renner told Akron Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith, this is a piece of Cleveland history that remains untold. We're excited to provide the means to finally give a name to this man so we can learn how he came to be here and who may have wanted him dead. By the way, there was one possible witness that police did turn up. Back in 1969, they said they found an informant who said he had witnessed the man executed at the hand of black nationalists. Now, I'm no historian on that topic. I only know that the 1960s and the early 1970s were a very active time for groups like the Black Panthers. Anyway, this informant said the killers had shot the man with a 38 caliber revolver and a shotgun. And the coroner did indeed recover nine 38 caliber bullets from the victim's body, though no shotgun pellets were found. Over the next few weeks, police tracked down information on missing men to see if they matched their victim, but they didn't. They checked jewelry shops in the hopes of finding the seller of his watch and that unique ring, but that came to nothing. They even had dental professionals trying to identify who did the work on those upper and lower partials, but didn't have any luck identifying where those came from. Of course, the first step in finding a killer is understanding who the victim is. That could give a huge clue as to why someone would have wanted him dead. We don't know how long it will take for the DNA tests that are being paid for by the Porchlight Project to be finished, but we'll definitely update you when we learn. In the meantime, anyone with info on this case can call the Cuyahoga County Medical Examiner's Office at 216-721-5610. Select one and ask for the Investigations Department. By the way, I I was curious, so I, I looked on NamUs and found out that there are 102 cases of unidentified bodies in Ohio that are listed on the NamUs website. That's a database of Jane and John Doe's around the country. And just in case you're curious, here's the breakdown of the major metropolitan areas in Ohio. 56 of those 102 cases are in Cuyahoga County. It's more than half the statewide total. There are also six in Franklin, six in Hamilton, four in Mahoning, three in Lucas, two in Summit, one in Stark, and one in Montgomery. Now, these complicated familial DNA tests that they are doing today, they use genealogy to trace identifications. And even though they can take months to do and a lot of money, it really is good to be living in an era where it's quite possible to solve most or even all of these. That's it for this week's 10-Minute Mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized 
Ohio Mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. May all of your mysteries have happy endings. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.